Hello everyone, and welcome to our first episode back after over half a year, I think, at this point. Our summer break turned into a much longer break from this show than we anticipated because all of our lives uh, got very busy and um, we were feeling a little bit burnt out. So this is actually going to be a bonus episode. It's actually an episode that we recorded last summer with the intention of having it placed in the middle of our short break, um, having the spoons to edit it. So uh, I have now done that. And I hope you enjoy our episode about the fandom. But if, if there are any references to um, it being summer, uh, to the world opening back up, to uh, encouraging people to get vaccines, um, that was last summer before we knew that uh, things were going to get bad again. So now it's winter and we encourage everyone to get their booster shots. I get mine next week. Go get it. There will still be uh, time until we begin book five. We're hoping to do so soon, but all of our schedules are quite busy and stressful right now, and it's hard to align our times at the moment. So uh, that will happen at some point. We have not forgotten, um, and hope you enjoy this episode in the meantime. And welcome to Potternot, a podcast for new and returning readers with conflicted Harry Potter feelings. I am Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a tired fan. I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a frustrated fan. I'm Zoe, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a jaded fan. And this week we will dive into the good and the bad of the Harry Potter fandom. We're doing a bonus episode. Yay! Hello. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> been a journey. <laughs> the good and the bad. I've known from early on that I wanted to do a couple of episodes that weren't focused on chapters of books or movies that were talking about other Harry Potter adjacent things because obviously it was a phenomenon that took over the world and uh, changed a lot of people's lives for better or worse. So. I thought yeah. that we should talk about that. Yeah. And that it, it, the fandom kind of exploded kind of between book four and five, right? So that's, that's why I thought this would be a good time yeah. to do it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I feel like, well, I, this is proof that I didn't do my research. I'm <laughs> currently Googling when MuggleNet was founded. Because um, I feel like that's 99. So that's book three. Between books three and four. But I feel like, yeah, the fandom sort of nuclear, basically, <laughs> between four and five. Was there a midnight release and, like, release parties and things like that for book four? Or did that start in book five? Oh, yeah. I know it yeah, there were? Yeah, 2000. That was the first one, was for book four. Book four. All right. I guess we can start there, which is, like, getting the books. 
Why don't we start with you, Zoe? Because you were the youngest. Yes. So um, by the time this episode comes out, I will be 31. Um, and I was born in 19. So if you do the math and you are listening in 2021, thank you. Um, I was born in 1990. And so when the first book came out in, what is it, 97, 98? Um, 97, I'm pretty sure. 97. So let's see, I was seven years old. So I was in grade one going into grade two. So that fall I was in grade two because I was a baby for my year, summer birthday. And in second grade, our teacher, it was, we were allowed to go to the library and pick out books and things like that. Um, I it was my first time really being able to read more. And I was given the Harry Potter book in class, first Harry Potter book. And that was sort of a new kind of book for me. And so I just... Your teacher, like, specifically recommended it? No, I think she read it, some of it out loud in class. Oh, okay. And then I got it from... I think my mom just bought it for me because I really liked it and I was talking about it. This part's a little fuzzier because I was quite young. and. I loved it. And this is like right when Amazon was just for books and sort of getting off the ground in a real way, right? And so you could pre-order things on Amazon. Um, <laughs> and so we were able to pre-order the second book, which came out that summer in 98. And that was really where I like basically only read the first Harry Potter book for like eight months between mm -hmm. getting it and the second book coming out. And from then on, it was like the first three, I think, I would just read on repeat. And I never liked book two. I have this very distinct memory of being very young, nine, maybe. And I remember it was, it was, it was bedtime, because I had a bedtime, I was nine years old. And I was supposed to go to bed, but I had just stopped at a part in book two that really was very scary. And I like went downstairs and I was like, can I stay up another like 10, 15 minutes and read something else? Because I got scared. And my parents were like, yeah, of course. So my hatred of book two started early. <laughs> but I switched schools and I had a friend in middle school, starting in fifth grade, named Hannah. And Hannah was just as obsessed with the Harry Potter books as I was. And the first few Harry Potter books, when I got them, the first, second and third book, which were the first ones with like... They would drop, you know, you'd get it that afternoon when it came out in the bookstores because it was enough of a phenomenon that like bookstores would stock it and it, it wasn't midnight releases yet, but it was mm -hmm. like you waited in line at noon or whatever. Right. I would sit down and I would just read the whole thing. And I have this very distinct memory of when book five came out in 2003, right? So we were 13 and there was a midnight release. And I remember neither Hannah and I nor I were like people who stayed up that late <laughs> at 13. Uh, I wasn't even 13 yet. And um, I remember she came over because my copy arrived first and I read it out loud. I read like a whole chunk of book five out loud. And I was so frustrated because it was going so slowly. And at that point I was like timing myself to see how fast I was reading the books when they came out for midnight releases and when it arrived on my doorstep. And I remember I was like, I'm falling so behind my book four time. I'm never going to catch up. <laughs> Simply because reading out loud is slower. It's slower. Yeah, exactly. And I never went to any midnight releases. That was not ever my thing. But always, you know, they came out 
around Father's Day in June in the summers. Mm -hmm. And I would like, (laughs) there's that great Tumblr meme of package. Um, where you just stand and you like face pressed against the door package. That was me. And it would arrive and I would open the box and I would like leave the box in the middle of the hallway in the walkway. My parents were like, "Uh, (laughs) excuse me. And I would be like in my room immediately reading. And it went all the way through book seven. And I would say that pretty early, I would say probably around the lead up to the release of book three, I was already on the internet looking for community. And so MuggleNet was founded right around when book three came out. And for me, MuggleNet and then also the Leaky Cauldron, which were the sort of the two big fan sites, that is where I had my fandom. I was not in Harry Potter Tumblr. I did not get into Harry Potter fanfic on AO3. Um, At a young age, for me, it was MuggleNet and it was Leaky Cauldron. I would sit on there and I would read the message boards and I would read the updates and I would read the rumors. And I remember there was a rumor about book five because there was such a big gap, right? There was a three-year gap Mm -hmm. of like what was going to happen. And people would like sit and comb through the books page Mm -hmm. by page looking for clues. The same way that like people do now with... Any Marvel property. Yeah, Marvel, mm -hmm. Star Wars, Game of Thrones. That is what people were doing with Harry Potter on these forums. And it was incredible. It was genuinely incredible. And then Pottermore actually came out around this time, also in like 2003 or something like that. And it sucked. (laughs) And like I joined because of course I did, right? I, but you couldn't choose a username. It was randomly assigned and you took the sorting test, but like, it was like sort of a forum, but also just sort of a point and click mystery game. Yeah. And that's it. That's all that was there. And occasionally when you were doing your point and click mystery game thing, you would come across like a new piece of JKR's writing, which was really just like a wiki entry. None of this backstory stuff. It was all just wiki entry kind of stuff. So (laughs) I'm just trying to figure out because I was like, it wasn't Pottermore. It must not have been Pottermore then because it officially founded in 2012. And I remember in high school, which would have been like 2008, around 2008 was when we were using like the beta version of Pottermore before it officially like launched. It's totally possible that I'm getting all of my dates mixed up because for me, this is all sort of like of one time. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to think of these as specific years. So that's totally possible. But my like my fandom of it was entirely... MuggleNet and Leaky Cauldron forums. And as I got older, I would read fan fiction on Fiction Alley, which was like the home of Harry Potter fan fiction. Like fan fiction that was 100% way more explicit than I should have been reading at the age that I was reading it. Everyone started reading fanfic in like middle school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like early middle school when I was reading this. And, you know, it was an all-consuming fandom in a very Mm -hmm. real way, you know, there's a lot of making fun of millennials on TikTok and things about, you know, their obsession with, you know, like, oh, I'm whatever house. But that comes from a place of like, this changed everything. Mm-hmm. This changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like internet fandom didn't exist. Like fandom existed. The level to which this expanded and the number of people that were involved and the vast age ranges of people and 
just how enormous it was made it so that this was the first thing. In the same way that like Star Trek was not the first real convention fandom. Of course right. it wasn't. But because of what Star Trek was and the zines and the fact that slash fic, the slash and slash fic, that comes from Kirk slash Spock, K slash S <laughs> slash. That's the abbreviation. That's like, if you track back the genealogy of the word slash, that's where it comes from. And so yeah. we think of Star Trek as the first of its kind. Of course it wasn't, but it was the biggest first mm-hmm. of its kind. And Harry Potter was the biggest. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. Harry Potter is the same thing. It still is the biggest. Like, I don't think anything has really eclipsed Harry Potter for, like, a presence on the internet. Because it was there from the beginning of fandom on the internet. Yeah. It has not gone away and nothing has reached that level. Mm -hmm. And so like my memories of Harry Potter before the like final stretch and the the final movies and before high school, like the books through book five, one through five, my memories are like refreshing MuggleNet every day. Mm Mm-hmm. I did not close that tab. Refreshing Leaky Cauldron, refreshing Fiction Alley, having conversations with a few of my friends about like intricacies of the fandom and of the books. And we did not think about them the way that we do now. For one thing, I was like 12 or 13 at the time. We were children. We were not doing extensive literary criticism. And I didn't really start doing that until I would say like six and seven came out and then the movies were coming out because I really was the same age as Harry the whole time, right? It started Mm -hmm. when I was a little younger, but by the time the sixth book came out, we were the same age. And when the last movie came out, I was 21, which was the average age of the main actors. So (laughs) saying that I grew up with Harry is not, an exaggeration. Like from age seven and a half, eight to age 21, I essentially had a fictional sibling that I could turn to. (laughs) And that's the way I thought about it. That is the way that I thought about Harry and Harry Potter. And I kept going back to MuggleNet. Like MuggleNet absolutely became my home base for the Harry Potter fandom. Mm. And it was a very kind place. I got very lucky in that MuggleNet was not really full of people who were, we'll talk about Snape wives, but like the <laughs> Snape wives weren't there and the uh, ship wars weren't really there. It was more about information yeah. um, than it was about transformative fan- fandom. So I didn't really see a lot of these more bad parts of the fandom until I was in grad school in 2012. And I was training at the time to be a young adult librarian. And so mm-hmm. I started a Tumblr. I read all the John Green books because I hadn't read them. Whole nine yards. I got like really into Vlogbrothers for a little while. I tried to sort of like see what it is that I would be working with if I were working with teenagers. And getting onto Tumblr at that point was really where I saw a lot of the internal fandom strife. externally was already stuff on MuggleNet about like they should have cast an actor of color for Hermione and like all these different things that was already 
sort of in the zeitgeist, but internal fandom strife, I didn't see until I was beyond jaded. I had already done my massive Harry Potter investigation project in, in, in college. I was still reading them about once a year, but I was starting to get bored of all things. Like they just, they weren't holding my interest. It's a weird journey because so much of my fandom was actually in person or on more informational forums than it was anything on what we think of as like home of Harry Potter now, which is Tumblr or AO3. Absolutely not. For me, it was, it was older and more in-person stuff. Yeah. Adela, what was your, we've gone into it a little bit in the past, but like the differences between us. Yeah. So I didn't, I'll get to my fandom stuff in a second because that was very late for me. I want to go back to when we got the book. My dad gave me the first book for Christmas when I was eight, which would have been 2001. Uh, so I, I got the first four books within basically a year. They had all, they were already all out. They, my dad gave me the first book for Christmas. I got the second book for my ninth birthday, which was in February. I got the third book for a trip uh, that I was going on with my family. So I'd have a book to read in the spring. I got the fourth book for the following Christmas. Wow. So I had them all within that year. Um, and just like Zoe, I was rereading and rereading them. Like that was pretty much all I read that year. And then I think before I got the fourth book, my dad would bu- was always buying me the Harry Potter books. That was until I started buying them myself. And when we got to book four, he would read them before I read them because I was quite young and he was like gotta make sure this is okay for my daughter to be reading um and so I yeah I was nine um and he read the fourth book and then he read the fifth book right before I read it when I guess I was 10 when that came out and that one he was like oh there's something a little bit you know a little bit mature in here but I think you can still read it so (laughs) and then after that I was buying them myself but anyway this sixth book I remember getting and the day I got it we had a I was on a softball team and we had a game that night and I had just gotten the sixth book I was reading it all day and then it was downpouring at our game and so I went to the car and kept reading and I had a there was a friend I had a friend on the baseball team who was also reading the sixth book and she came and sat in the car and we just sat in the car in the downpour and read (laughs) for the rest of the evening while they waited for hopefully the rain to stop. And it didn't. Um, We were happy about that. And then, yeah, the seventh book came out right before I went into grade nine. And I never went to a midnight release either. I don't think they, I'm not sure if they had them in my town. It's a small town. So I was always able to just go get it and it wouldn't be sold out or anything. Um, And there was never a lineup at the store. (laughs) Yeah, but I I was not on the internet um, really at all until a little bit in high school um, because I grew up, I was homeschooled until grade eight and we didn't use the internet at home at all. Like even a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I only got in, on the internet in high school and really I was just using YouTube and I didn't even u- use YouTube like properly. I didn't know, like I didn't like find people I liked and subscribe to them and things like that, which I guess I don't know anyone. I don't think anyone was really doing that at that time. It was right when YouTube yeah, started, YouTube was. but I was just like, listening to music on YouTube or like watching random videos. And that's how I found, which I guess was my first introduction to the Harry Potter fandom was finding Wizard Rock 
after the seventh book came out because there was a lot of there were a lot of wizard rock bands that were making music about the end of the era the end of the um the series Mm -hmm. uh and that is how i discovered wizard rock and then it was all i listened to for quite a while in high school um i listened to it a lot uh my favorite band was oliver boyd and the rememberalls um they have a song called end of an era that's to this day will make me tear up uh yeah i didn't but i didn't get into the actual fandom online until university because that's when i probably grade 13 of high school and then first year university was when i was really getting onto tumblr and when i got on tumblr at at first it was all harry potter was all i was doing on tumblr and that was my introduction to the actual harry potter fandom and for me it was wonderful because i didn't see any of the drama that zoe mentioned being on tumblr um and I never read fanfic like I I didn't even know fanfic was a thing back then all I saw on Harry Potter Tumblr was headcanons of fun conversations between characters that could have happened and people nitpicking their way through the books you know exactly like Zoe said uh reading page by page and finding all of these parallels between different scenes and finding all of um these like metaphors that they imagine that uh JKR was presenting us with that was my favorite thing to read on tumblr i call them like the harry potter revelations which was just there would be like long threads of people being like oh my goodness when this happened it was it was like paralleling this thing in the second book yeah and then someone else is like oh and also it's related to this other thing and then it just keeps going yeah and then it it always ends up with oh my god jkr is a brilliant (laughs) It would, yeah. That would always be the end of the post. And then I would tag it like something like all hail the queen or something like that. Or someone would write that in the post. Oh, yeah. Because that was the time when we were calling JKR the queen on top. Yeah, and that's how, I mean, so I, I guess I'll backtrack to where I started. Yeah. Is when I was a kid. So I also grew up homeschooled um, and I lived in very small towns, like 1000 population towns until... Mm-hmm college so the only friends that i had were like within the homeschool cooperative that we would go with and because it was this very like conservative christian environment nobody i knew was reading harry potter and so it was just in that category of things that other kids do in my brain with like having a nintendo console and (laughs) watching the disney channel like those were the other kids things Mm-hmm. And I don't think I knew how big Harry Potter was. Like, it was just a book series. Yeah. The movies. Like, that's what I thought. I didn't know how big it was, I think, until I got into high school and I got on the internet. And I was on Tumblr and I was watching the Vlogbrothers. And, you know, there's a huge overlap between Harry Potter fandom and, yeah, like, early, early YouTubers and Harry Potter fandom were like very intertwined. Yeah. So I got onto Tumblr and I, you know, I'd sort of missed them that in the middle of high school when everyone else who I knew, like everyone shared the fandom of Harry Potter. Right. Because who wouldn't, right? <laughs> like if you're on Tumblr, like sure, your primary thing might be supernatural or 
you know, whatever, but like everyone started with Harry Potter. And so it was just ubiquitous. And so I found myself in the weird place of like learning, you know, the characters and the jokes and seeing the stuff like, you know, those posts that you were talking about, like all hail the queen. And like, I saw that stuff, but I was never a part of it. I guess I didn't talk about the movies, which for me were a very different experience hmm. of, of oh, the yeah, fandom. Yeah. Oh, I didn't have I didn't have a fandom experience with the movies. So oh, I hundred I a hundred percent did. I refused to see the first one, and I think also the second one in theaters. I had no interest in them. I eventually did see them on TV at some point, and I was not impressed. I did see the third one in theaters, and from then on, four through seven, part two, I went to the midnight release mm-hmm. of the movies. Oh yeah, I did that. Was your early was your early skepticism was that like a common? Yes. Marvel net take of like, ugh, why are they doing this? So for books one and two, for books one and two, they were big enough that everybody wanted to see them. But the first one came out and a lot of people were like, hang on a minute. This is both too similar and not similar enough to the books. Like pick a direction. <laughs> and the second book is just not as popular. And yeah. so I was not interested in seeing it. And I don't remember much chatter on MuggleNet. It also wasn't a great movie. Also, bad movie. Um, but the stills that came out when Alfonso Cuarón was announced as director, everything changed. I remember being people on MuggleNet being like, "Oh, that means there's a different direction. It's not going to be as like samey and boring. It's not going to be as like BBC feeling. It's going to be fun." And there was a big split on whether or not that was a good thing. But mm-hmm. the, when the stills came out of them in there, like street clothes. I don't remember what the reaction on MuggleNet was necessarily, but I remember myself and my in-person friends got really excited because the series had picked a direction. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which is not similar to the books. And I went and saw three through seven part two um, at midnight. And when the fifth movie came out, my birthday started at midnight when the movie started. Nice. And (laughs) so me and a bunch of my friends and another friend of mine who had the same birthday, Max, him and a bunch of his friends, we all like booked tickets and we took up an entire row in the movie theater, like massive row of all of us. Of course, at the time, and I didn't talk about this either, but at the time I was performing in, and I was unfortunately unable to get a photo of me in costume, but I was performing as Harry. in an improv show that was improvising Harry Potter and the fill in the blank. So we had robes with us. We could like go in full costume. Not all of us did, but I had two friends named Max and they put on the robes, um, my friend whose birthday it was and another friend, and they performed like a mock battle with wands up at the front in front of the movie screen <laughs> while we all, while like the entire theater waited for the movie to start. Yeah, nice. And then the entire theater sang the two of us happy birthday. <laughs> this was an experience. It was an absolute experience. And I remember for the last, last two movies for sure, because I know I was in college for the last two movies, I would call a different Hannah, but I would call my friend Hannah, like when I got out of the movie theater, like 2.30, 2.45 in the morning and be like, it was great. Go see it. Bye. (laughs) 
And so I still had this very in-person relationship. The movie Midnight Releases were a blast. People were in costume. There was cheering. You know, it was an experience. And it was one that was very positive and, like, very full of, like, understanding that, like, we're all nerds here. Mm -hmm. That sounds phenomenal. Yeah, I went to the midnight releases of books of movies six, seven, and eight, and that, those were all in high school for me. I don't remember how I saw the fifth movie. I feel like the, I think three, four, and five I saw with my dad and my brother, and I remember every time walking out of the theater and being like, this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong. <laughs> and because that was always the thing that I cared about when I watched the movies. I had more fun at the sixth, seventh, and eighth movies because I went with high school friends and we went to the midnight release, especially seven and eight. I still didn't like six, even watching it the first time. No, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have a question for E yeah. because this is going to be related. So I, <laughs> hang on, I need, I'm standing here and Google, you can Google with me if you desire. When did the first Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring movie? Oh, one? Yeah. Okay. So book four. Uh huh. I guess book, f it was like after book four, but the early Harry Potter movies were coming out and the first Lord of the Rings movie was coming out. I was 11. I was five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Before, my mom had read me the Lord of the Rings movies out loud when I was a very young child. And I, she wanted to read the entire trilogy before the first movie came out and it was announced like a few years prior. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I was going to do the same thing. I had no connections with these books, but I decided I was going to do the same thing. So I read the entire trilogy before each of the, th the three movies came out. Fully. And then at age wow. 12, I read The Silmarillion. Yeah, and so for me, my first experience, and I think this is actually a really big reason why I got into movie three and not one and two, and a big reason why Adela and I viewed the movies differently early on, is I had already gone through the experience of reading the book and seeing the film adaptation of it. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the Lord of the Rings adaptation is very different. Yeah, and I, and I feel totally differently about the, that compared to Harry Potter. Like, I love the movies and I love the books separately. Yeah. The Lord of the Rings adaptation, I mean, it's it's very good. Like, mm -hmm. there are quibbles that a lot of people have with it, but I don't think there's any Lord of the Rings fan out there that says, like, on the whole, this is a bad yeah. adaptation. No, they're beloved. Yeah, I had already gone through that. And for me, Harry Potter fandom and Lord of the Rings fandom for me were at different levels of intensity, but in the same place in my brain. Mm -hmm. After that first movie came out, and I had sat with it for a while, and I was like, this was a great movie. It was different from the book, but it was a great movie. I was then okay with whatever they were doing with Harry Potter. And that sort of lined up to end up being the third movie. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess I hadn't clocked, like, fully in my brain that Lord of the Rings, the movies, and Harry Potter, the phenomenon, were happening at the same time. What year was... Seven part two. I'm um, 2011? 17. 2017? What? Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> 20, 2011. 2011. Uh, <laughs> I was like, it was right in between me finishing high school and going to university. Because I remember that was the, I think I had just gotten like onto Tumblr. Mm. And so I experienced 
like from a distance, but I experienced a bit of the tidal wave of that movie hitting. Not on Tumblr yet at that point, so I don't know how Tumblr reacted to the movie. I just know how I reacted to the movie, which was not well when I first saw it, but then I liked it later. I saw it three times that summer, and I liked it after the like second yeah, and third time. Yeah, I was time. far enough away that all of that I absorbed from Tumblr was just like a lot of passion and I wasn't close enough to determine whether it was positive or negative. That's good. You didn't get spoiled. I think in terms of endings, and we've talked about this a little bit here and there, a big fan reaction that I was a part of was the reaction to the epilogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which we will get to. That was the part that reached me also. We'll get to in a couple of years. (laughs) I guess sort of jumping off of that into sort of the less great parts of Harry Potter is starting out with some of the shit in the fandom. Mm -hmm. Do we want to get into that? Yeah. Can I start with branching off of what I was talking about with the All Hail the Queen posts? Sure. And, like, toxic Harry Potter fans. Which I'm sure there's a lot of different kinds of toxic Harry Potter fans, and the kind I'm talking about is the kind that Harry Potter is the be-all and end-all of literature. Mm -hmm. And if uh, you don't like Harry Potter, what's wrong with you? Yeah, so that's that's one thing I wanted to comment on, actually, because, and I'm not as much of, like, I don't know fandom history as much as some people do, but it Mm -hmm. feels like message boards to some extent, but Tumblr to a huge extent, was where this idea of, like, fandom bandwagoning started, where, like, everyone on this site is part of this fandom. And because of how quickly posts can get huge and be circulated around like globally that there was sort of just an assumption and a pylon of like everyone saying the same thing the harry potter fandom is a monolith in a way and that exacerbated that like all hail the queen kind of attitude was like this fandom moves and acts as one which i think was not not how fandom was really perceived before that. And also not really true. It's just the loudest people, like anything, the loudest people are make it seem like the whole fandom is acting as one. Still get that question though, Adela, of like, so my partner hasn't really read Harry Potter and doesn't really plan to, saw some of the movies in theaters, didn't see others. And when we got together, I had friends who asked me whether or not she had read Harry Potter mm-hmm. and how I felt about that. And I was like, I could not give less of a shit. Yeah. So, okay. And they were is- like, but it's such a big part of who you are. And I was like, it was, but also even when yeah. it was, I encouraged people to read it, but if they didn't like it, I didn't tell them they were bad people, but people did. Um, this is re- very relevant at the moment. <laughs> um, what you just said. So, when I was in the Tumblr, Tumblr fandom early on, and I had never dated and I didn't for a few more years after that but I was always like if I am going to be with someone they have to be a Harry Potter fan in my head I was just like yeah like I I couldn't conceive of someone not understanding how important it was to me and they would and I didn't think they would be able to understand how important it was to me unless it was also important to them and even when I had my last partner my ex uh, I forced him to read Harry Potter by listening to the audiobooks. We listened to the audiobooks together. And that was in 2017. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're dating. You have to listen. You have to read Harry Potter, which I, and I was like, 
I wasn't even as like in the fandom or as much as a, of a fan by then, but I was still like, this is an important thing. You need to at least have an understanding of it. <laughs> but now I'm like, that's not like fair to people. It's not fun. It's not nice. I don't know. And I like understand because I, my, one of my best friends, Allison, who I became friends with a couple years ago, I like mentioned being a Harry Potter fan and her experience with Harry Potter fans was toxic fans, like bullying her for not liking Harry Potter. And I was like, that was my first time, like thinking about it and being like, that's what people in the fandom were doing to people who were not in the fandom. Yeah. And I saw it from the inside and didn't realize how awful it was because I was like agreeing with them. The only reason why I wasn't a toxic fan is because I was extremely shy and extremely socially anxious. <laughs> like yeah. I had that, I had those mindsets at the time, like in yeah. when I was on Tumblr in 2011, 2012. I mean, it's so easy to on a platform like that, which is why so many of the fan bases that have come out of Tumblr have like really bad like portions if you dig maybe sometimes sometimes you don't even have to dig there's some really ugly stuff that comes out of that because of that reinforcing mentality of like everyone thinks this way and there's something wrong with you if you don't yeah which gets into shipping wars i'm curious and zoe might know more about this was shipping like a thing oh it was a thing very early on how much and I guess Harry Potter doesn't really have like competing ships oh. canon 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 there's no love triangles in canon except for except oh. for Harry uh, Cedric and Cho which is cut off immediately so and I guess technically Crumb Ron and Hermione which is not really acknowledged as a thing. <laughs> right. Because it's before yeah. Ron and Hermione get together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Shipping wars were absolutely a thing. And they were a thing even on, like, MuggleNet fandom posts, um, not in sort of traditional fandom spaces like Tumblr, of arguing whether or not people would make good couples. There was, there is and always has been a huge section, section of the fandom that believes that Harry and Hermione belong together. And not Hermione and Ron. Yeah. And to be honest, for a long time, I agreed with them. Like, I knew that Hermione and Ron were going to end up together because this was the style of book that it was. Yeah. But, you know, before they sort of settled into a more sibling relationship, especially in later books, mm -hmm. in books, you know, four, three, four, five, there is some thinking that like you can read it and say like oh harry and hermione are a much better fit yeah and they'll get there eventually like they see themselves as like best friends and feel like siblings now but like a lot of couples feel like that for a long time and they'll get there eventually they're the more mature ones right and the book even pokes at that like oh yeah um the first explicit i have a very clear memory of this fanfic the first explicit fanfic i read on fiction alley was a harry draco fic and that was about book two, although they were aged up. We are not going to talk about whether or not aging up characters is appropriate. And we are not going to talk about the arguments within the fandom community, scholarly fandom, and fandoms in general about whether or not you can write teenagers having sexual relationships 
period, if they are underage. But I will say my personal opinion is that if you are underage and you are writing this fic because you are having these feelings, then that's generally healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you are underage and you are reading these fics because you are having feelings about your body and you don't know how to process them, that's also generally healthy. Mm -hmm. It's when adults get involved that it becomes unhealthy. Yes. And if an adult wants to age up characters or fast forward in time, I think that's also a healthy way to go about writing about characters. We're not getting into this and then immediately got into it. Yeah. (laughs) We're not going to get into the arguments about it, I guess, is what I'll say. But I want to preface that because I was reading, I was, you know, 11, 12 years old, and I was reading explicit fix of Harry and Draco aged up because it was set in quote unquote book two, but they had been aged up to about 17. Mm-hmm. So that it wasn't writing about 12 year olds. Yeah. And it was written by like a high schooler. Mm-hmm. So writing about a, a coherent age group. Yeah. Like because this fandom, and I think in this way, it kind of is the first of its kind where it's a fandom about like the characters are children. Yeah. And I think aside from like if anything happened about the Narnia books, which I I know that there were Narnia like fan spaces on the internet. I've read those fics. But Harry Potter was the first time that like people were reading and writing and ship warring about kids. We were kids reading them and growing up with them, which is I think the thing that's different also about this fandom. Yeah. Like the fandom, the fandom grew up with the content that <laughs> that the fandom is about. Yeah, and that made ship wars really easy because we got to see them at all levels of maturity. Right. And so I was saying, you know, like books three, four, and five, you can kind of see where the Harry Hermione pairing starts. Um, and of course, Hermione and Ron is straight up shoved in your face from the first time they meet because. That's how the books are. And Harry and how he feels about different characters is made pretty clear. But as we've said before, this is a straight cis woman who is attracted to men writing a teenage boy. And so the way that she writes him is implies that he's attracted to men. Yeah. Because that's how she understands how to write attraction. But she doesn't even realize that she's writing it like that. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Totally subconscious. But that allowed Ship Wars to include characters like Draco. Mm -hmm. Because the sexiest thing you can do is have a rival. Of course. An arch enemy, perhaps. But it also opened the doors to pairings that are genuinely bad. I was going to say dangerous, but I don't. Before we want get to the to... pairings that are generally bad, do you think that Harry Draco and other queer pairings in the books are like in the fandom are one of the reasons why the fandom is so queer? No. <laughs> uh, or do you think it's just because it's a huge fandom and therefore it would have all types of people in it? I would honestly push back a little bit on that and say that the Harry Potter fandom is not especially queer compared to fandom, just like as a thing. I guess it's just all the fandom spaces I've ever been in have been extremely LGBTQ plus friendly and full. Of- right, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. fandom <laughs> as a 
as an experience, I think tends to attract queer people. I don't know mm-hmm. that the Harry Potter. So I will put on my fandom scholar hat. Yes, please. There's different kinds of fandoms and they are not on a binary, but they are so associated with binaries. So I'm going to speak in binary for the moment in terms of gender, but I'll elaborate it on this in a second. Transformative fandom, what we think of as traditional fandom, is associated with women and with the queer community. Transformative meaning thick writing, headcanon forming, like meta posting, like... Art Mm. even. Art. Mm -hmm. Any kind of art. And then there is the other kind of fandom, the name of which I can't remember at this moment, but I'll look it up in a second. Like archival fandom? Yeah, there's a specific word that describes that, but it is knowing things. Mm. Not changing things, but just the knowledge of. Mm -hmm. And that is traditionally seen as the fandom of men. Now, obviously, this is... Creating wiki entries and digging... Wiki entries and and gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. The can you name, do you really know? And the reason I'm saying it's general and we should put away the binaries is because I can't tell you how many times... Somebody asked me, oh, are you a Harry Potter fan? Name all the Weasleys. Absolutely. That's yeah. part of the, And it's yeah. like, okay, I, like, I can name all the Weasleys, but that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but I can. <laughs> I, I can also name them in, in age order. Like, why, why do you care? Yeah. But the reason I'm saying we should put away the binaries is because within the communities of transformative and the other kind of fandom, that happens no matter what. Right. So you get a lot of queer fans and women fans who are gatekeeping each other mm-hmm. with traditionally quote unquote male tactics. Yeah. I, this is this is the way it's described. It's obviously not a binary at all. Which is where the toxic fans who say you can only be a Harry Potter fan if you have read all the books or you love the books or you yeah or you know the, all of these things. Yeah, exactly. And of course, if you know all the things, then they'll create a new goalpost. Right. I mean, yeah, there's there's always gatekeeping. So your question was, is it a very queer fandom or is that just what you see? And the answer is, it's a very women-oriented fandom mm-hmm. that became queer. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that it's YA and it's fantasy mm-hmm. and it's school fiction. Mm-hmm. And those three things all stacked up meant that it was geared towards young women readers, Mm -hmm. even though it was starring a male character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you got a lot of young women and fantasy novels, escapism, things associated with the queer community who were reading these books. Yeah. And then they read, which... Adela and I will talk about it ad nauseum in the next book. The acceptance and pushing back against the man and all of these things being on the outskirts of society. Yeah. The idea that like be the diagonally is diagonal, meaning not straight. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of small and very obvious queer reading, which was not meant to be queer. It was meant to be like, if you talk to JKR, it's about like the outskirts of society and being special. And a lot of people are like, yeah, that's me. And I'm queer. Yeah. Yeah. Queer folks in the community that this was already directed at picked up on that. Mm -hmm. But the thing is you, 
I'll just use the, the current lingo. A lot of Karens read this book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people who grew up to be, you know, centrist, conservative, uh, cishet only, homophobic. Like that is. Is this where we get into Snape Wives? This is where we get into Snape Wives. <laughs> because the answer to the question, is this a queer community, is it has become one, but there is and always will be a contingent of the Harry Potter fandom mm-hmm. that still considers JKR the queen. Yeah. And even more so because she is transphobic and because she is homophobic. Yeah. And those same people might have been writing queer ships or reading them. Oh, yeah. The fetishization, especially of male male fic, is like. This is like a whole different fandom topic, but if you want to read about like straight, white, het, cis women who are centrist, conservative, who fetishize male, male, especially sad white boy, male, male, thick, that is a whole conversation we can have another time. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously I was not in the fandom and I was not reading thick, but I was in the supernatural fandom and I wasn't I was gonna say this is you'll see this in a lot of other fandoms. Supernatural, Sherlock, Merlin. Uh, yes. Any media property that stars men, which is most of them, and stars exclusively men, which is a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Which are aimed at a female audience, again, mostly, and a straight female audience, you know, people who are attracted to men. And so when there's nobody else to ship them with, you ship them with each other. Yeah. And so it goes to really weird and gross places sometimes. Yeah. But there are also queer fans who enjoy, you know, and see themselves in that Mm -hmm. and, you know, foster that, you know, exploring their own identities through that kind of fandom. And so it's, really hard to tease apart like <laughs> who's writing this who's reading this so there's there's a few sad white boys in harry potter and the one that got turned queer for non fetishization's sake is draco mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons we'll go into all of that maybe after book seven i'll talk about some of my favorite fix and and where draco is seen in the fandom um the other one is snape mm-hmm. yep and God, Adela, do you want to take this one? <laughs> Wait, I don't know about Snape Wives. You're the one who told me. Oh, I had never God. heard about it until you mentioned You've it. Never heard of- I had never heard of it. I wasn't on the internet, remember? Right. Yes. Um, okay. You can do it, Zoe. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we will put this into the show notes. But... There is a great article that is a big explainer about Snape Wives um, that is actually from 2020. It was a sort of reinvestigation of this phenomenon. And we'll put it in the show notes. It's a great overview. But I'll just talk about this from my own memory. Mm-hmm. So the idea, the idea of a Snape Wife really only existed from like, 2000 to 2007 and uh, maybe 2008 and pre-tumblr pre-tumblr a little bit in the early tumblr days but really pre-tumblr because once it got to tumblr it was sort of eviscerated in, in different ways that i remember 
And again, I, I really recommend this Jezebel article. It's called Consider the Snape Wife. I, I really recommend it. Um, I'm not going to go too much into the detail of it, but I, I think it's a great and terrifying read. Someone, <laughs> uh, someone who considers themselves a Snape Wife. God, I'm trying not to view this in, like, the way that I'm trying to explain it. Okay. <laughs> I think you just have to say it, Zoe. <laughs> yeah. They think that they are married to Snape. Yeah. Um, these are straight, cis, het women, white women, mostly, who are completely obsessed with the character of Snape. And I will, I really want to emphasize this is exacerbated by the fact that Alan Rickman is a, an, was an incredible actor, did a great job portraying this very specific role in a very specific way that made Snape even more appealing to these people and more appealing across the board as a character. And a character who was unattached to any other character until, you know, the end. Uh-huh. Yeah. A character who was available, so to speak. But sad. And sad. So these women considered themselves to be the ultimate knowledge on Snape. They know everything about him and he knows therefore everything about them. And they are his spiritual wives. So it's a cult. No, because they don't all know each other. This is not like... Right. It is not a group of people that consider themselves to be... Like, each individual person considers themselves okay, to be married to Snape. Yeah, it's I a personal see. obsession. It's a personal obsession. Exactly. And this spun out of control in really specific ways. This is like the era of live journal and people are like writing diary. This is what I remember. Please go and read the Jezebel article for more details and more accuracy. But this is what I am remembering from seeing mentions of it on MuggleNet and coming across it on live journal pages. People would like write diary entries as Snape's wife. And of course, anytime anybody said anything bad about him, his character, how he was portrayed in the movies, doesn't matter. There would be an army of Snape wives in the comments telling you why you were wrong. Mm -hmm. It was just the creepiest, most frustrating thing to, to see because it was just a, it was a way of thinking about these books that centered character that was it a child abuser and that was a member of a Nazi organization. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of quotes that I do have from the article. So if you're not sure what I'm talking about, I will read this sentence and you will now know. Um, so this is from the Jezebel article. I have a sneaking feeling that Snape wives morphed and are now simply this generation's Kylo Ren superfans, <laughs> who also revel in the sexualization of the brooding dark energy of the Star Wars villain played by Adam Driver. Driver's own features are also, ironically, Snape-like. Maybe I'm wrong, but there will always be a mysterious, brooding fictional man whom a subset of women feel compelled to protect, and they'll happily do whatever mental gymnastics are needed to justify their worst behaviors. But Snape wives, and the lengths that many went to profess their love for the object of their affection, will go down in internet infamy. Definitely the same type of obsession. I just want to read one more quote. Sure. Um... When, when this author of this article says, um, a mysterious brooding fictional man, I want to be clear that she's not talking about a Mr. Darcy. And I say that because 
Snape wives will sometimes associate themselves with a character like Mr. Darcy, who like does these good things. For those of you who don't know the story of Pride and Prejudice, Darcy saves the day and is like in the end, a very kind and loving man. That is not what Snape is. It is not what happens necessarily, but from their viewpoint, it is. He doesn't have a kind heart underneath. Right. Yes. And so this author quotes somebody from a forum. So this is a Snape wife is saying this, and this is the last thing I'll say about Snape wives, but I see a lot of myself in him. I'm painfully blunt. I'm an intellectual. I'm socially awkward. I have a dry sense of humor and can be very sarcastic. My family will also agree that sometimes I bitch just to bitch, not because there is actually a problem or I'm actually upset. I also am very loving and will do anything I can to save people or beings from pain. And I know where he gets that from, having come from an abusive household myself. You either continue the pattern or do everything you can not to repeat it, not harm others. Motherfucker, he spends the entire book abusing children. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm glad that you brought up the Darcy comparison, because what that person described is Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Yes. And not Snape. Exactly. Not Snape from Harry Potter. And that's different than, because you can very much relate to a character. Yeah. And that character can be very important to you and help you get through hard times by thinking about how you are related to that character or how that character feels like you. But you, we would not necessarily use your relationship or formative relationship with a character to like justify bad behavior. Exactly. So it's when it comes into real life. So that's what, this is the tangent that I wanted to go on to. Yes. On the topic of bringing this sort of obsession with a fictional thing into real life. Did you guys hear about or read the article last year about the parents who are raising their daughter to think she's a witch from Harry Potter? No, but that's terrifying. Yes, so I'm I'm gonna I, I will put this will also be in the in the notes in the show notes. Uh, their daughter was eight years old as of last summer, and they raised they are raising her to believe that she is a witch. She is going to receive her Hogwarts letter when she is eleven. She's from a wizarding family. They told her school that if she talks about being a witch to just go along with it. It's Ugh. awful. And they said, like, literally in the, the article, there's like a quote from one of the parents. It's like that they're saying they know that they're gaslighting her and it's going to be disappointing when she finds out it's not real, but they're doing it anyway. Yeah. That's just child abuse. Yeah, yeah it literally is. So that's like, there are a lot of dark sides to the Harry Potter fandom. And one of them is people who are so obsessed with it that they bring it into real life in a way that hurts other people. Yeah, I think that's the perception. Like, people that weren't part of it and have negative perceptions of it tend to have that kind of experience with people who were so obsessed with this property that they cannot distinguish it from what is real life. And that's, we talked a little bit about this at the very, very first episode, if you want to go all the way back, when we talked about houses, mm-hmm. right? Houses way back in the early fandom. Yeah, it took a while for the Slytherins of the Harry Potter fandom to reclaim Slytherin as a house separate from the way it is in the books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, the way the very simplistic, evil, good, smart, dumb, mm-hmm. yeah. which is how it's presented. Yep. Not loyal, no, dumb. but yeah. stupid. Simple. Uh, yeah. Is simple. Yes, exactly. Simple is, is Hufflepuff. 
that was really a big part of the early fandom too is like if you're a hufflepuff then you're simple like you don't understand things and you're not going to do well in school and like you can't be a hufflepuff if you do well in school obviously you're a ravenclaw if you get an a and there was a lot of that and it's just like okay well it took a long time for the fandom to sort of discover other parts of the houses and part of that is because we don't even get to see other parts of the houses until like book five Mm -hmm. where there's some complications to the simplistic definitions, but that kind of thing is exactly what Adela is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. By the time I was in the fandom, like the fandom had already figured that out. And like every, there were people proud of being every house. And there was a lot of posts about all the good qualities of every house. Yeah. Um, on Tumblr. And maybe this is my perception from like the people that I knew in high school and you know, what I saw on Tumblr, but there was definitely a perception that like, if you identified with Hufflepuff or Slytherin, you had to have like a defense ready. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you had to have a reason. Whereas like Gryffindor and Ravenclaw are just like, yeah, that's what people say that they are. Yes, that's that's accurate. Like it wasn't at the point where like if you say you identify with Slytherin, there's something wrong with you. Like we were at the point where like public figures were right. Mm-hmm. Public figures by which I mean like popular YouTubers. Popular YouTubers being like people my age yeah, and older. Yeah. I, I do, I do want to emphasize that like, this is a very specific millennial mm-hmm. and like old Gen Z thing. Yeah. Yes. Like Gen X didn't really get into this in the same way. Like you look at the green brothers, both of them are, are Gen X. Hank is t- bottom of the Gen X old uh, millennial young Gen yeah. X sort of like blurry lines. The oldest popular people on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they weren't old. Yeah. And there was all of these jokes of like, oh, when the millennial has kids, you just got like all these Hermione's running around. That didn't happen, by the way. A lot of us have kids and none of them are named Hermione that I know of. I mean, sure, there's sure there's some, some, right? But But yeah, it didn't happen in the way that people said it was going to happen. But this is a very millennial thing. And God, millennials get fucking lit up on TikTok by Gen Zers being like, (laughs) you love Harry Potter. And it's like, yeah, it was a big part of my fucking childhood. What do you want from me? (laughs) Um, anyway. (laughs) Generational squabbles aside. Yeah, we are not bringing back the middle part. (laughs) Or low-rise jeans. Fuck you. That's the worst. I hate seeing that coming back. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I've just noticed that coming back this year. And I'm like, oh my god. No, please. Low-rise jeans and crop tops. Shout out to heroin chic, I guess. Hey, I love crop tops, but I wear them with high-waist jeans, so... So, yes, so that's sort of some of the darkness in the fandom. There's a lot more that we could go into. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to a couple people that uh, responded to our, uh, do you have any stories about being in the fandom when you were younger? And their uh, Kerrigan on Twitter responded and said, speaking of what we were just talking about, of people who bring Harry Potter into real life, this person was on Um, a role play message board for Harry Potter in the early 2000s. And there was a group that apparently claimed that they straight up were the Malfoys, not that they were role playing as but that they actually were the Malfoys. And they horribly bullied a lot of people, including this particular person and who was like publicly shamed for doing something in character and all these different things. So like, that's an example of something really toxic and still very common um, RP style. Uh, dark side of fandom and um shout out to this person who uh was in a different server on discord 
who told me about this one experience that um, I have absolutely seen. So uh, they said, I was big into reading Harry Potter fanfic when I was a teenager and specifically ships in the R or X category. So, you know, uh, explicit. Uh, and they said, anyway, one day I found a lengthy erotica piece involving the whopping willow and the shrinking, shrieking a shack. It wasn't very good. And I've tried in vain to find it again as an adult, but it is nowhere in the fanfic archives. As far as I know, it falls into the category of worst and most cringe in that case. Yeah. There was a lot of crack fic is what it's called. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like off the wall. Fic, but some of it gets real explicit. Um, and we are <laughs> not going to talk about my immortal. <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> if that was going to come up. <laughs> um, I've never read the whole thing. I, I feel like it, at, at least we have mentioned it now. We don't need to say anything more yeah. unless we want to. But I was like, we can't do a fandom episode without at least mentioning it. The only thing I'll say is that it's hugely influential in fandom. Yeah. Uh, it was probably a parody. Nobody knows. People have come forward to say it was them and have been proven to be lying about it. I've read a bunch of it, but not the whole thing. I have only it's read like, bad. little bits of it on Tumblr and yeah, I bad. I read the first couple chapters and gave up. Like way back in the day, like when it was a meme. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was, that's what, it, that's the thing is like, it is a meme fic. It was always a meme fic. It was never meant to be taken seriously as far as we know. Certainly the people that have come forward so far and have been proven to probably not be the person who wrote it have all said like, this was a joke. If the person who wrote it wrote it seriously, then like, congratulations. It sounded a lot like the fanfic I wrote of myself at Hogwarts when I was nine. I imagine if the person who wrote it uh, wrote it seriously, they are never going to come forward. Yeah. <laughs> because who would want to come forward and be like, no, this is the thing I actually was writing seriously when everyone has made it into a meme for 20 years. And like, especially the very beginning of it, the like, Raven, whatever the Raven dimension wave name <laughs> description, the whole nine yards. It reads a lot like every kid's fanfic introduction of themselves in a self-insert fic of like, I'm going to Hogwarts. Like no matter what you were into, you wrote one of these when you were 10. Yeah, exactly. You know what? It's not a bad part of the fandom. My Immortal was a very fun part of the fandom. <laughs> Everybody enjoyed it. No, yeah. anything, the people who like relentlessly dunk on it are worse than the fic yeah. itself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's more fun to just, like, think it's funny than to try to, like, dissect it and analyze it. We should talk about some, some good things and some some happy fandom things. Um, Can I talk about just... Uh, yeah. Still going back to my own fandom experience, I, all I've talked about so far is, like, Tumblr, basically, and a little bit of uh, listening to Wizard Rock, but... Like the most, the biggest thing that being a Harry Potter fan brought me, which is not really fandom, but it's just, it's, it was such an easy way to make friends. And mm -hmm. as someone who was extremely shy, did not talk to anyone, all of my friends who I made in university were because we found out that we were both Harry Potter fans. And then immediately it was easy. And then we would find other things that were in common. But like every, every friend I made until after university, they were a Harry Potter fan. Every single one. Um, and most of them are still my friends now. Uh, whether awesome. or not they are still Harry Potter fans. So that that is one of the reasons why it was such an important part of my life, more so than the fandom, 
the act of being a fan. Yeah, exactly. But in terms of fandom, the biggest thing that I ever did with the fandom was, of course, the Ministry of Magic at my university, which was our Harry Potter club. And I view that as a very positive part of the Harry Potter fandom for me. And my experience in the Harry Potter fandom was mostly, it was, it was Tumblr and it was the Ministry of Magic. And the Ministry of Magic was involved uh, we also had a chapter of the Harry Potter Alliance, which is now um, called Fandom Forwarded. By the way, I want to talk about that in a second, too. Mm-hmm. We had a chapter of the Harry Potter Alliance at the Ministry of Magic, and I was running it for one year, um, the chapter. And we were part of the big campaign to get uh, Warner Brothers to use fair trade, fair trade chocolate for their all of their chocolate products for Harry Potter. And that was like a big, <laughs> a big uh, project. Yeah, that was a big project. And um, so being a part of the Harry Potter fandom in that way, in like the activism way was big, but also just, it was a way, a way to find people that are like you. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's fun to do activities that are like, themed on the thing on this thing that we all love like we ran the triwizard tournament one year and that was so fun between three universities it was great and like we had death day party every year and opening feast and yule balls every year and all of that was great and i wouldn't i'm i'm very glad that all of the things that have made me less of a fan now didn't come out until after i finished university is what i'll say Because I don't know what it's like now, if there were, if there are, like, spaces like that now. Yeah, I don't know. I had a similar experience in college. The best roommate that I had and have ever had was my sophomore year dorm roommate, who was that same kind of, like, all-in Harry Potter fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this was 2015. And she and her boyfriend, who was also my friend... Um, and their group of friends were like the officers of the Harry Potter club at our college. And it wasn't very big because our college wasn't very big, but they, I mean, they did all that sort of stuff. Like they did a Yule ball and they did some like service projects and, you know, I never went to the club, but they were the nicest and coolest people that I ever like hung out with until I made, you know, my later group of friends and like the only good roommate I ever had. And so I definitely had that sort of tangential, like positive, like, oh, these fans are like, they're using this as a common ground to do good things. Yeah. I was never involved in any of the sort of advocacy and um, stuff that was popped up around Harry Potter I think the years in which I sort of identified as a Harry Potter fan pretty much ended when the seventh book was out. Yeah. You were a fan by the time you got to college so much. Yeah, like I was I was still a fan and we still went to the midnight releases yeah. of the movies, but it wasn't like the only thing that I did. But there were some sort of universal happy Harry Potter things that came out of the Harry Potter fandom that were just around all the time. And some of them I liked more than others. I never listened to Wizard Rock. It was never sort of in my sphere of things, but um, Harry Potter Puppet Pals Mm -hmm. um, was 
absolutely like uh, when the new song dropped everybody or when the new YouTube video dropped, everybody like crowded around oh, yeah. somebody's was, laptop I totally in the dorms. Forgot that was also a big thing in high school for me. Was Yeah. For me, it was college. That and a Harry Potter musical. That was my high school friend group. So Harry Potter musical came out when I was in college and I had a friend at University of Michigan who actually saw it. And um, my friend Hannah sent me the first YouTube video that went up. And I got home from work that day and I like pulled it up on my computer and it had been taken down for copyright infringement. Mm. Because for those people who were not watching early Harry Potter musical, you may not know that they had to prove that they were a parody to be able to stay up because it was not obviously a parody from the first part that was posted. Mm, mm -hmm. And so it was like an agony. I had watched like five minutes of it and then paused it and went somewhere else and came back and it was like down because it was a copyright strike or against the video. And I had to like wait three weeks for that to get resolved to finish watching the fucking YouTube video. It was torture. (laughs) Like very Potter musical and less so very Potter sequel, which I didn't like for, yeah, reasons having to do with some transphobia, but a character choices. Yeah, there's some uh, choices there, but like absolutely, a friend of mine, she and I would would quote that back and forth. We like ripped the music from the YouTube videos. Oh, I did that. So too. we could put it on our phones and our iPods, so we could listen to it like in the car. We would sing along um, in the way that you would a musical. It also had impacts on just like the entire fandom and headcanon in general, like things that are. That were in just in a very Potter musical became like accepted as like general headcanon in the fandom. Particularly good finders. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, Malfoy just like rolling around on the ground. That was how I was introduced to a very Potter musical. Was my friend rolling all over the tables in the art room where we had our lunches when I walked in, and she was singing the pig fart song, or not the she was this or like reciting the monologue that comes before the pig fart song, and. that was how I was introduced to it. So. I think it's also worth mentioning, like, how influential those things were just in general. Like, Darren mm-hmm. Chris. Yeah. Started with Starkid. Yeah. And Neil Ciceriega, um and Emmy Ciceriega. I don't think they were on Potter Puppet Pals, but, like, they're huge now. Yeah. Like, those, and the Green Brothers, obviously, Vlog Brothers wasn't about Harry Potter. But a lot of it was early on. A lot of Hank's videos were about Harry Potter early on. Yeah. (sighs) And their organization is really tied up and tied in with a lot of queer, friendly Harry Potter organizations, including what was at the time called the Harry Potter Alliance. Yeah. So, like, there's so much of, like, I don't want to say nerd culture because that's a huge descriptor, but, like, so many people were just launched internet culture internet culture like internet culture of the early 2010s yeah early to mid 2010s was hugely influenced by things like wizard rock yeah um like hedwig and the hedwigs is that what it is i don't know that one there there's harry and oh. potter draco and the malfoys I think there's other ones named after specific characters. There's Oliver Boyd. Yes, and Harry and the Potters there's... for sure. I thought there was a Hedwig based. There one. is a Hedwig, but like based those one. were just like named yeah. bands that would come to places. They got big enough. Yeah. And Harry Potter puppet pals, like everybody knew Snape. Snape. Yeah. Snape. Yeah. Snape. 
Dumbledore, right? Like everybody still knows that. If somebody starts singing it, everybody will join in. Yeah. I mean, I watched a very Potter musical and sequel just because that's what everyone was talking about. Like whatever. You're and doing. because it's fucking great. <laughs> also very good. I don't know anything about Harry Potter at that point. Like I don't care about Harry Potter, but everyone in my life is talking about this. Yeah. There's just a lot that did come out that was good. And um, you know, what we didn't do is a bunch of uh, <laughs> research, which we wanted to do is so that we could, and we will, we will put some links to some fantastic queer and trans Harry Potter organizations in the show yeah, notes. I'm going to put, um, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to put fandom forward, obviously, but uh, which yes. is the HPA, that would be, that's like the biggest one, um, which uh, they changed their name last year. Um, oh no, this year, they changed their main name a month ago. Uh, and in their explanation, it says, because like they're, uh, there are many fandoms and this is more about how storytelling can change society, basically. I think it's also not wanting to have the name Harry Potter as part of your... Yeah, a complete disassociation. With yeah, which is JKR. totally fair. They still have a lot of their campaigns are like named after Harry Potter things, which I love. Like the, the LGBTQIA plus equality campaign is called Protego. There's like a human rights campaign called Dumbledore's Army, which I'm... I, I like that because then we can have positive associations with fandom things from Harry Potter. You know, this will never be a podcast where we defend JKR mm -hmm. ever because she's a really horrible human being. Yeah. But I do want to say that her charity organization, Lumos, has done a lot of good around the world. Yeah. I don't know about it at all. I thought that it was just in England, but they've, they've, Cool. they've partnered with huge organizations around the world it's they do mostly stuff in the uk but like lumos as an international organization i believe has partnered with a lot of other places and just because somebody is a philanthropist and puts money towards good causes does not make them a good person yeah but taking their money and doing good things with it is always going to be a a good thing yeah. especially if they're not making more money unfortunately she is it happens when you own a charity charity yes yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. I remember when, uh, so there was a big, like, a big to-do when JKR lost her billionaire status because she had given so much money to charity. And... A big to-do, to be clear, like, she was God. Yeah. And then I realized years later, oh, it was her charity. Yeah. Like, she was... Which is like, yes, it was still, it was still like doing the good things. But yeah, she was, it was her charity that she was donating all that money to. She was using, which is fine. She's using, that's good that she was using all her money to make good things happen. But yeah, there's, it's not, but I do think that there is something to be said for the work that has been done. Um, and that has been picked up by a lot of other organizations. And that when it was started and when Lumos began, the work that it did and the work that it has done is not to be discounted yeah and it's not like she runs it like she owns it. well she used to but there's a lot of people in that organization who yes are, you know doing genuinely good work yeah and there's just like one of the things that i'd like to link in the show notes is some of the pieces that came out in the past three years um as jkr became more openly transphobic 
a lot of trans fans have stepped mm-hmm. forward and said like this is my experience with your books and you can't take that away yeah. from me Can, i'm gonna find the article by uh yeah we're gonna put at, at least one article in the show notes we read a lot of these a, a number of years ago when when some of this was sort of coming to a head one thing that we didn't talk about because it's not in the books or the movies in the same way but that we should at some point talk about and this is a negative side of the fandom and a positive side of the fandom I'm going to say both is the um <laughs> racism mm-hmm. the um American schools the schools abroad that JKR created yep. in Pottermore and sort of the enormous issues with the idea of like Asian Harry Potter magic yeah. African Harry Potter magic North American Indigenous American Harry Potter magic. Actually, speaking of that, that is the first, I think, I, I don't remember if I said this, I probably have said this before, but when the Ilvermorny, like, history stuff came up on Pottermore, the first, like, when that came out, which was, like, 2014-ish? End of 2014. Like. Yeah. That was the first time where I started actually picking things apart and noticing problems in Harry Potter in general, because I I hadn't, like, like I had said, I, I hadn't been thinking about it in a with a critical lens before that but reading about the history of Ilvermorny which is a very strange name anyway word Ilvermorny uh and the complete just like whitewashing not whitewashing but just like um what colonization Yeah. yeah I mean and at the time I was like this is awful like British with wizards Wizarding Society comes into America and does this is awful. But at the time, I I was like, but it's re- perfectly reflecting actual colonization, so it's fine because it's like, you know, not it's fine, but it's like, Acceptable. maybe it's a yeah. maybe it's a commentary on actual colonization. Yeah. But then after that, I was like, well, also she wasn't just doing that; she was also writing like this is what Indigenous Americans did for magic. Yeah. It uh, was 2016. Oh, yeah, because 2014 was when Fantastic Beasts was in The now. new, yeah. And also when, like, new Pottermore came to be, basically. 2014 was the 2014 Quidditch World Cup, uh, which was a big thing on Pottermore. Oh, because 2014 was also the 20th anniversary, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That era when she just started, like, posting, <laughs> for lack of a better Yeah. I think that was the turn for a lot of people where they like they had built up their fandom over like 15 years for some people. And then the author comes forward and is like, and another thing. Mm -hmm. And people were like, I don't like this. (laughs) This is actively bad. Mm -hmm. And that that was like the realization for a lot of people, like, oh, I can I can criticize this. Like I can choose what parts of this that I want to like. And then she started showing her whole ass, you know, like <laughs> years later. So, yeah, I have, um, I did find a couple of the articles from when that came out. So we will, we will put some stuff into the show notes. Um, but it is really important to acknowledge that we are three white people yep. <laughs> talking about this. Um, and we don't have the experience of not being white. Yeah. And, that's one of the reasons we're going to be linking to things. And don't have the experience of being trans. Yeah. And. Exactly. 
We are queer. We got that one. We can talk a lot about being queer in the Harry Potter community. So there's some really great articles that we'll link to. But also, I encourage you to go and find the episode where we talked about um, rewriting the magical schools in the United States and in Canada and around the world, because you'll find that the fandom did a really great job undoing a lot of the problems or helping a lot of the problems become anti-colonial by fandomizing it. Mm -hmm. And anti-colonial Harry Potter readings are things that I love in the fanfic. Yeah. Um, And in the fandom and reading more and more about, you know, like my headcanons of the characters have changed over time. And I've talked about how like I didn't realize it at the time, but I've always thought about Hagrid as black or mixed race Mm -hmm. um, and some other uh, characters. But I remember the very first time I saw uh, a drawing of Harry as South Asian or Indian. Um, It just fucking blew my mind because it, it worked so perfectly yeah. mm-hmm. with his story. And there's this whole backstory that you can find on Tumblr where like the colonization and, and family moving to Britain and then from there, and of course the connections between the UK and India being, you know, like huge history of colonization. And then you see these amazing Tumblr artists drawing a black Hermione and an Indian Harry and an Irish Ron. And you think like, okay, this is where it could be. Mm-hmm. And the fandom has taken us there and we can write these stories from now on. Yeah. The explicitly, you know, anti-colonial, anti-racist, and explicitly anti-fascist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we are taking the, in, like those parts of the fandom is like, we are taking the things that we thought Harry Potter was about and actually making it about that. Yeah. I mean, to what Zoe said earlier, like that's not the whole fandom. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. A specific part of the fandom. Like there are plenty of Harry Potter fans, possibly the majority of them, that grew up to be, you know, conservatives. And there is still massive Harry Potter fandom drama going on now on TikTok because that is the new Tumblr. And I'm not very much on the periphery of it, but and it's going on with like well, I actually don't I don't know. It's definitely not just millennials, but... There's a lot happening on Harry Potter TikTok. I'm not on Harry Potter TikTok very much, but I do see it occasionally. Um, and there's just... The fandom is not is not dead. It's not dying. It is growing and changing. And there are good parts of it and bad parts of it. And I think it's okay if it starts to quiet down. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm. I, that's what I've been wondering over the past couple of years. Like, is it going to continue to change and grow or is it going to start to die down and please can it start to die down (laughs) yeah because it doesn't there's nothing for it to grow on anymore right like other than just like building on our own headcanon which is fine but you don't need to keep going of course you can as a Jane Austen scholar right um, (laughs) I tell you that like these things go on forever but I would like them to maybe go on forever, but maybe leave anything that JKR says in the dust. And that's not happening. And right it now. doesn't need to be the monolith anymore. Yeah, it doesn't need to be the active, like everyday, yeah, all consuming fandom. Like, obviously, there are scholars of everything, fans of everything. Cool. Uh, one last thing I was wondering if we all wanted to give a recommendation of something. Um, even E 
if you have like a favorite thing that you saw online, you you said you did. I have some Harry Potter fix that I can recommend. I'll recommend a couple of songs by Oliver Boyd and the Remembrals. Yeah, we'll we'll cover the three big types of fan work. We'll we'll get fic, we'll get music, and I have art. Yeah. Um, E, do you want to just give like a a one sentence breakdown of what you're going to recommend? Yeah, I'm going to recommend a particular artist on Tumblr, not exclusively uh, Harry Potter, but a lot of what they put out in, you know, got over the past like 10, 15 years has been Harry Potter comics, um, as well as BBC Sherlock and just, you know, their own creative properties and whatever. Um, Their (laughs) URL is this extremely long word, floxinosinylopilification, um, with an A at the end because the word was already taken as a URL. Uh, we'll link that yeah. in the show notes, but it's just a, a very fun and sweet comic artist who, like, half the joy of Tumblr artists is commentary in the tags, yeah. uh, which is something that I dearly, dearly miss on every other platform. Um, and so every post by this artist has just two paragraphs of commentary in the tags, just like chatting about their life and what they're up to and just a delight. And they're still at it, you know, every once in a while they'll post something new and it has been a delight to me for years, despite not knowing a goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to dive into that because I've never seen this before. I'll recommend three fix. I'll just give like a one sentence overview of each. Um, there's, uh, I would say they, they constitute the three categories of fic I love the most. Um, so one of them is called All Life is Yours to Miss. Many years down the line, um, Harry and Draco are both teaching at Hogwarts um, and sort of how they interact um, over the course of their lives while they're there. Another one is called A Young Radical's Guide to Love, which is a very, very fun fic that picks up a lot of the themes of the end of the seventh book, minus the epilogue. And it's about uh, Harry becoming a politician. It's very funny, um, very heartfelt, really wonderful. And so those two, I I really love sort of Harry goes into uh, the ministry or Harry and Draco become teachers. These are all Harry Draco fics, obviously. And then the third category, this is um, a fic called What We Pretend We Can't See. I'm recommending this for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, because it's what I would call a Grimald Place fic, which is will become more clear later on. Mm -hmm. But for those of you who have read it, you can take a guess as to what that means. But I also want to read the author wrote a paragraph here. Edit 6, 11, 20. So June 11th, 2020. They say, uh, well, here we are in 2020. Where did we go wrong? Am I right? I joke. It was the white supremacy that got us here. And the fact is glare- and that fact is glaringly obvious. Anyway, this note is just to say that I, the author of this story, am a trans man. And I did not write this piece of fan fiction for the enjoyment of anyone who doesn't support the rights of trans people to just live our goddamn lives. I'm not going to take it down because the whole point of this tale was obviously gay romance. And mm-hmm. to use fandom to address and try to correct the, what I felt are still some of the biggest issues in Harry Potter series. It's overwhelming whiteness, the whole Albus Dumbledore is gay, but only when you're not looking directly at him thing, etc. But I would be remiss in this moment if I did not say that trans people are good and hating trans people is bad, and no part of this writing stands for anything so much as please condemn and dismiss the words of J.K. Rowling, who should not have done the things she has done. 
Your support of this work over the last few years has been an honor, and I can hope you continue to enjoy reading it, unless you hate trans people, in which case I hope it ruins your whole day and also tomorrow. <laughs> nice. That's great. Uh, I'm going to recommend, just for funsies, listening to <laughs> these songs by... Okay, so I'm sharing... I'm going to put five links to songs. Bear in mind, I have not listened to these for a while, so I don't remember all the lyrics and whether they're actually as good as I remember them being. <laughs> but I will say uh, Bridge to the Other Side and End of an Era and um, The Last Call were all songs that made me cry when I listened to them and I would listen to them on repeat. Uh, the, the first two are more just like upbeat and a kind of fun fandom songs. Uh, you should not listen to any of these songs. <laughs> Maybe you can listen to the first one. You can listen to Just a Hufflepuff. The other ones, I'll have to re-listen to them first before I can <laughs> see if you can listen to them. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just zone out and not listen yeah. to it. It'll be fine. And of course, we all wholeheartedly recommend going back and, and watching Harry Potter Puppet Pals. Yes, and a Harry Potter, Potter musical. musical. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll link those, just in case you happen to have never seen them. Also, I feel like I should go back and listen to Harry, po Harry and the Potters because I never, I didn't actually find them when I was in my Wizard Rock phase. I didn't listen to them at all. And I have seen them live since then. Like I saw them live in 2017 because they were at a Vlogbrothers event and I liked them a lot. So, and they are one of the ones that has come forward as like, we are very anti JKR yeah. and et cetera. Yeah. So also go listen to yeah. Harry and Potters because I think they're great too. Yeah. I just haven't listened to them as much. There's a lot of, there's so much good fan work. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on this fandom journey with us. Um, yeah. Please keep sharing your fandom stories. Uh, we would love to hear them and see them. And if you want to share any pictures or anything. Share your favorite artists. Share your favorite writers. Yeah. And artists, creators that you want to boost. You know, even if they're not doing Harry Potter anymore. We'll be back with book five. Eventually, in a little while. We're taking time. It's busy, y'all. Yes. Things are happening. Yeah. The world is opening back up. But also, please be careful. If you're not vaccinated, yes. go get vaccinated go get if vaccinated. you can. If you're in an indoor space that's crowded, put your mask on if you're vaccinated. If you're not vaccinated, just keep wearing your mask. Don't take it off. Yeah, go to bed in it. Take showers in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this uh, little bonus episode. Little, it's long. I have been Adela. You can find me on Twitter at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore. And you can buy the games that I write at wilderflower.itch.io. I'm Zoe. You can find me on Twitter at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-T-O-P-A-Z. And buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. And if you'd like a history of fandom, I really recommend Fic, Why Fanfiction is Taking Over the World by Anne Jameson. And I have been E. You can find me on Twitter at CEL10E. I almost feel bad I don't have anything to plug. Y'all, great work. <laughs> Go buy their things. Bye. You can find the show. Oh, at wait, that's my job. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, you can find the show at Potternot on Twitter and Tumblr. And you can find more music by our wonderful composer, Morgan Jackson, at wedidthetimewarpagain.bandcamp.com. Now I think we're done. Okay. Yes, we'll see you all later for book five. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited.